Thank you. Good morning. So, it 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 is truly a privilege for me to be here. That and that's not just sort of guest speaker talk. Um, I'm glad Rich mentioned what 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 he mentioned. That this church represents for me. It's been a number of years since since I've been here, but this church and its history represents something very special to me. Um, I do remember 20 years ago when Rich was a student. It was my very first year uh, of leading the pastor's college. And uh, so I was saying earlier this morning, I do remember that eager young man who was sitting in that class. He weighed a little bit less. And uh, his, his hair was a little dark. Well, it was a lot darker, actually. And uh, it's funny, Tiffany looks exactly the same. And um, you would, just exactly the same. And and he's aged so much, and um, it's wonderful. Uh, but to to have, to remember that, but then to have observed uh, Rich Rich's growth over the years, his faithfulness over the years. I remember when he uh, began leading this church, um, and so to have watched him, and not just watched him from afar, but uh, as as he said, to have enjoyed his friendship over the years. Just makes this very special uh, treat for me to be here. Beyond, though, and this is important for me to say, beyond the personal, I, I, what, because of what I do, my role, I get to speak at a lot of different churches in Sovereign Grace on a, on a regular basis. And it's, it's always a, I love it, uh, not, not just to preach, I just, just to, I'd be just as happy sitting on the front row, but every time I do, and standing here today, I just see exhibit A of something precious God has given us. Uh, and it's something that you see on virtually every page of the New Testament, especially beginning the Acts chapter 1 through the rest of the Bible. You see something that God intends, and that is gospel partnership. Um, I, I think of the the encouragement that I receive from uh, men like Rich and, and pastors throughout Sovereign Grace, the, the, the care I receive from pastors, uh, I, I'm just such a, a rich man because of that. I, I think of the protection that comes to us uh, in our family of churches because of our commitment and our accountability to sound doctrine on the one hand and biblical godliness on the other. That, that's a gift from God. Um, because of that gospel partnership, we are, we are stronger. And so I stand here and I look at you and I think, thank you, God, for, for this. Because of our gospel partnership, we are, we are richer. Um, in in a, few, uh, a few weeks, I'm going to be with our sister church in, in Germany, in Hamburg, Germany. And, and I think of the hundreds of churches that are that are wanting to relate to sovereign grace right now in the Philippines representing thousands of people by the grace of God and I think that's happening in so many different places that just makes us richer it makes it gives us depth and it gives us nuance and it it broadens our cultural perspective we're not we're, we're not just isolated among ourselves I'm so grateful for that um and the partnership makes us more fruitful. The, the Lord in his mercy, and, that, and that, the partnership that we enjoy, it's purely a gift of God's grace. It says nothing about us. Uh, 
or anything clever about us. But that, that partnership, God in his mercy has given us something that it positioned us so that we can do far more together than we could ever do on our own. Um, so that's what standing here just reminds me of. So I, I just want to thank you for your role in that. Thank you for your contribution to that. Thank you for making me richer and sovereign grace richer. It's, it's a very precious thing, and I hope you see that. So thank you. Um, turn, turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. You're wondering where it is in your Bible. Maybe you're newer to your Bible. It's about in the, it's about in the middle. The biggest book in the Bible. We're going to look at Psalm 46 this morning. So I'm going to begin. I'm going to read the entire Psalm first. I would invite you to read it with me. And I would just remind us all that these aren't just words. It's not just ink on a page. This is the very word of God. And when God doesn't just give his word as a distant word, an ancient word, God still speaks through what he has spoken. And and one of the other things that the Bible tells us about God's word is that where God's word is, God is. Did you know that? God's word takes on the very attributes of God. So where God's word is, God is. So as we read, let us let us let us let us perceive what's happening. God is among us. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of God. I mentioned Germany a moment ago. A few years ago, I had the joy of bringing my family with me to Germany to serve our sister church there in Hamburg. And after our time with the church, we, we took a little vacation time. And uh, our first destination on that trip was Luther country. And the first city that we visited was Wittenberg, often called the birthplace of the Reformation. It was there 
You know, perhaps you know this story on the door of the castle church that Martin Luther nailed his famous 95 theses. Those were uh, his complaints about certain practices in the Roman Catholic Church. And, and those theses sparked a debate that would soon grow into a blaze, really, that would change not only the church, that would change the entire world. Well, we were there, and as we made our way, the first thing I wanted to see was that church, and so we made our way down that medieval street to the church, and as you do, one immediately spots the tower of that church. It's over 300 feet high, and circling the top of that tower are these words in German. Ein Festeburg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. The opening line to Luther's most famous hymn, the hymn often called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. Well, make your way down from the castle church down to the middle of the the old town, uh, to the city square, and you'll find a large monument to Luther. It's massive. It's got a statue to him, and there's plaques on the base of the monument. One of those plaques, you see the same words, Ein Feste Burg. You actually see those words in many places in Wittenberg. Luther is all over Wittenberg. And and besides being one of the church's best-known, best-loved hymns, that hymn did not stay in the church. That hymn played an important role in German history. That hymn was used by, was sung by armies marching into battle. That hymn has been incorporated into great works by composers such as Bach and Mendelssohn and Debussy. That hymn was sung actually at the funeral of President Dwight Eisenhower. That hymn even made an appearance in The Simpsons. (laughs) There's actually an irony, a sad irony in all of that. Those powerful words, they they tower over Wittenberg. They They have been sung throughout the centuries, but their meaning is often overlooked and their significance dismissed. Well, that hymn, I draw your attention to it because it was inspired by and based upon this psalm, Psalm 46. And and like the hymn, like Ein Festeburg, this, this psalm is meant to be more than words on a page or lyrics in a hymn or engravings on a monument. This Psalm is a gift to us, my friends. It contains precious, strengthening, bracing truth about God, especially about God and his posture towards his people. And and the backdrop of this psalm, perhaps you noticed, is relevant for every believer because every one of us encounters or will encounter circumstances that shake us. And that's the context here. The the context of this psalm is trouble, not just inconvenience, not the cowboy's loss last night, which was trouble for some people in this room, Um, not just hassle, not momentary difficulty. The the context here is earth-shaking, life-threatening trouble. And to people facing such trouble, frightened by such trouble, this psalm comes to us and it delivers to us authoritative, uh, perspective-altering, 
circumstance interpreting truth. And like Luther himself and this, his great hymn, this is a rugged psalm. This, this is a robust psalm. This is a defiant psalm. You know, some psalms come to us and, and they speak tenderly to us. They, they put their arms around us and they sort of whisper comfort in our ear and soothe our heart. Not Psalm 46. Psalm 46 comes to us and, and it looks trouble and calamity in the face and it stares it down and it exhorts us to a radical confidence in God, whatever life brings. That's really the theme of this psalm. It's really the message I believe God would have us hear from this psalm. Here is what God wants us to know this morning from this portion of God's Word. I think we could sum it up like this, very simply. No matter the threat, what's your threat? No matter the threat, God's protective presence makes His people secure. That's what I think God would have us here this morning. Whatever you may be facing this morning, there's no scenario that this psalm doesn't apply to. There's no special circumstances outside of this psalm's field of vision to every one of us this morning. Psalm 46 comes to us like a strong, wise friend, unfazed by our trouble, undaunted by our circumstances, and it speaks faith and courage and comfort to us. Through this psalm, God himself speaks faith and courage and comfort to us. So I would invite you to, along with me, let's, let's open our hearts to this strong, wise friend, to, to God himself as he speaks to us. Now, to, to get our arms around this psalm, I, I want to look at it under three headings. I, I, think there's, I think we can find three aspects of God's care for us in trouble, God's care for us in life. Uh, and I'll just mention them up front. They're very simple. God's protection, God's presence, and then God's pronouncement. So those are the, the headings we're going to proceed under. So let's look at the first one. Number one, God's protection. Look with me at verse one again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, note the very first word of the psalm. It's not, it's not I, it's not we, there's no opening plea, there's no opening prayer, just God. Before, before any description, before any prayer, before any exhortation, out of the gate, the psalmist rivets our attention upon God. Like, like that band around the tower in Wittenberg, this, the, the writer raises a banner over the entire psalm, really over the entire life of the people of God. Before any examination of circumstances, before any wringing of the hands, before any consideration of trouble, there is this strong confession. God is our refuge and strength. And remember, this is a song. This is poetic. And, and so the images are, are, are meant to be mined for their meaning. So the writer tells us God is our refuge. Don't, don't let that word just kind of pass over you. It's kind of a nice biblical religious word. It's a very common word in the Psalms, especially the first portion of the Psalms. Book 1, Psalms 1 to 41. It, 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 it can be used for any shelter, for protection, of any sort, in a, in a storm 
or in a battle. You see both of those uses in the Bible. So maybe you've hiked through the woods and, and you're, you're, you're going through a driving rainstorm and you're, you're just freezing cold and you finally come to that cabin and you, you enter in, you slam the door, instantly relief, instant protection. That, that, that's a refuge. Or it's also used for soldiers in a battle. Maybe picture a scene from Lord of the Rings and, and you've got soldiers, you know, being chased down and they, they arrive through the castle gate and they shut the giant doors and they lower the bar against the doors and they just kind of rest their backs against the doors. Instant safety. No more danger. A place where danger can't reach you. That's a refuge. And that's what God is to us. A safe, secure place to hide from all danger, all turmoil, all threats. He's also, he's not our, only our refuge, he's our strength. So we're not just protected, we are empowered. Empowered to act, given wisdom to decide, <laughs> infused with wisdom to get out of bed, take another step when we're exhausted or discouraged or paralyzed with fear. So he's our protection and he's our supply. Okay? And, and unless we think that that kind of protection or in supply is distant or remote or difficult to access, you know, it's reserved for special Christians who are really having their devotions and really doing well, or it's reserved for special moments, not every day. No. What does it say? Verse 1b. Look at this precious phrase. God is a very present help. In trouble. More literally, I would translate it this way a very present, a, a help in trouble. He is very surely found. He, he's not a distant help. He's not a remote help. He's not a help if you can just find the secret. He, read the right book and he'll help. Pray the right prayer and he will help. Help yourself and he will help. No, the point is this. He's a help that is there when you need it. So let me ask you, do you need it? <laughs> He's there. Question for you. What's more real to you this morning? Your trouble or God? Here's the reality. God is more present to you than your trouble. That's good news, isn't it? And, and don't miss the specific context here. God is a help in trouble. Got to read the Bible carefully. In other words, the psalm assumes trouble. So there's an underlying truth embedded here that we should not miss. Trouble will come to the ungodly. It's, it's part of the fabric of living in a fallen world. Christians are not exempt from it. Christians are not immune to it. Christians should not be surprised by it. You ever surprised by trouble? What's going on? No, we should just think, yeah, here it is again. But this psalm brings hope to it. And even the particular word here, there's so much God gives us. The particular word trouble here is vivid. It, it suggests a, a sense of confinement 
of, of being hemmed in. So, it, so it's any threatening situation where there's no, no room to move, no, no space to maneuver, no, no way out, no way out. Maybe you know that feeling. Maybe as you think about your trouble, you think, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm trapped. And my options are, are limited. And I, just, I, I, see no, I see no way out of this. Or, 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 or maybe, maybe it's already happened and the, the situation's broken and there, there's glass all over the floor. You just think, this message would have been good at, Six months ago, but it's there's no fixing this. You see, friends, it's especially in those situations, desperate situations, that God is a very present help, very surely found. And, and note this, the text does not say God will help you, does it? What does it say? God is a help. God will not just send you help. He's not just back at HQ sending forces, hoping maybe they'll give you some help. No, God himself will come to you with, with all of his care and all of his compassion and all of his wisdom, all of his resources, all of his omnipotent strength. That's the theological banner over this psalm. That is the theological banner over our lives. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Now, given this truth, given this immovable foundation to our lives, how does one respond? What, what effect is that meant to have on our souls? That's what we see in verse 2. A conclusion is drawn. Look with me. Therefore, we will not fear. If God is really, if God is really this... Then, then fear makes no sense. You, you see, fear, here's a funny thing. Fear reveals the logic operating in our hearts. It sh so it, it shows what we're trusting in that might fail us. And so the stock market falls 600 points. You get fearful. Something might be failing me. Maybe my trust is there. It shows, it shows what we cherish that we might lose. It shows what we're trying to hold on to that, that we just can't seem to control. You see, the, the world tells us a story in which fear makes perfect sense. If we are just the result of a random process, a random collocation of atoms that come about through random mutations, if, 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 we, if, if we are alone and vulnerable in this world, no sense, no meaning, if all that's true, then you know what? Be afraid. Be very afraid i got no help for you. 
But the Bible tells us a different story, doesn't it? It, it, the Bible gives us a worldview in which fear makes no sense. The, the, the maker and sustainer and ruler of this world has acted to get a people for himself. He's taken responsibility for his people. He's with them in trouble and nothing can destroy his good purposes for them. Nothing. That's true, then. Okay. Fear looks different, doesn't it? And and don't think this is some platitude for this writer. It is not. He imagines here, he's he's a realist. He imagines here worst case scenario. Look at his language. Four catastrophic scenarios in verses two and three. They're marked in our English Bibles by that word though. We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the waters tremble at its swelling. It's like a it's like an apocalyptic film, massive earthquakes altering the very landscape. Mountains sliding into the sea, creating tsunamis and tidal waves. And the elements are are personified. They they almost come alive here. The waters roar and foam and swell. It's like the world comes alive with its threats. What the psalmist says, it doesn't matter. Even if the whole created order unravels, even if the whole, the very foundations of life are shaken. Even if the whole world comes crashing down, even if, now, you fill in the blank. What are you scared of? Even if we will not fear. Told you this was a strong friend. And I know you know that it doesn't take an earthquake or a tidal wave to feel like your world is crashing down, does it? I'm sure there's, in a room like this, there's plenty of illustrations. So what, what's your worst case scenario? What, what's so precious in your life that it were threatened? It's fear. If it were taken away, panic. It could be, I don't know, it could be your, your, your marriage, perhaps. It, maybe there's conflict and, and hurt. and You find yourself rolling over in bed and just thinking, it's, it's just not supposed to be this way. Maybe it's a... Maybe it's a child and you just pray for that child and you, you long for that child to walk with Jesus and, and it, it just seems the heart is cold. And all of your talking is just not changing it. Or maybe it's a, someone you, you've, you know and love has, has encountered a tragedy. An accident that took the life of a loved one or a chronic illness that just is mysterious and there's no end in sight or or maybe a terminal Ill- illness and the end is seems all too clear. Um, it's to those kind of scenarios that this psalm was written, to this psalm applies. Brothers and sisters, this, this was... 
God has given us this as a gift. This psalm was written to take us by the shoulders and look us in the eye and assure us, Christian, nothing can do you ultimate harm. Nothing. Within the refuge of God's protective presence. Look at your trouble. Think about your trouble. I'm sure you see it. There's something, there's someone massive between you and that trouble. And there is in him and nowhere else security and protection and strength and grace. What, what, whatever you fear in him, you can face. Whatever you need there, d- deliverance, protection, wisdom, perseverance, whatever you need, he will provide. That's the psalm. That's what the psalm is telling us, friends. No matter the threat, no exceptions, no matter the threat, God's protective presence makes his people secure. That's the first aspect of God's care to us in trouble, God's protection. Number two, number two is God's presence. God's presence. So what was implicit in the first part of the psalm becomes explicit here. Look with me at verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Did you notice there at verse 4, there's this dramatic shift in tone. We, we move from roaring seas and trembling mountains to, to a tranquil river in a glad city. The whole, the whole picture moves from chaos to calm. What makes a difference? It's the presence of God. And the writer depicts this with this really sweet symbolism. Uh, there is a river... You can almost hear the soundtrack change from minor keys and clashing cymbals to sort of gentle, a flute maybe playing and a major key. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That that language is, is reminiscent of paradise. The river calls to mind Eden, where God provided a river to water the garden of life and Maybe you remember in Ezekiel, his great concluding vision, there was a river that flowed from that future final temple, giving life to all the earth and all the seas. So so this river signifies something. It signifies God's life-giving presence. And and the city reinforces that image. It probably refers to Jerusalem, where, where God chose his very presence to dwell in the temple, but but it does so in an idealized way. It's, it, the whole thing's a picture of God present with his people, dwelling with them in peace and security and protection. And that, that's explicit, isn't it, in verse 5? Why is it so peaceful? Well, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So we have this wonderful picture, but then it's like the camera zooms out again 
And, I mean, it almost gives you whiplash. And the, the, this tranquil, secure city is then contrasted with images of, of national turmoil and threat. Look at verse 6a. The nation's rage. The kingdom's totter. You see that word rage there? It's the same word for roar in verse 3. So the seas were roaring. The nations are now roaring or raging. So it's a picture of this cosmic conflict, fallen creation, rebellious nations railing and conspiring against God and his purposes. (laughs) But then. God speaks. Verse. 6b, he utters his voice, literally, he gives His voice. And what happens? The whole troubled, raging, groaning earth just melts like wax. You see what he's doing? To to, to the threat and terror of verses 1 to 3... The psalmist steps back now and provides us the the fuller picture, the deeper reality. God's not off the stage when things are going wrong. He's he's not swooping in to rescue. He's in the middle of it. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's protecting. And that trouble, regardless of what it is, is no match for his sovereign power and his omnipotent word. So this psalm, it's so helpful, because now, in addition to personal trouble, these verses picture national trouble. Trouble not just for the individual, but trouble for the people of God. And and if you've had your eyes open lately, in recent years, it seems like the the velocity of of trouble in our nation has just accelerated, hasn't it? The, The culture... The culture seems to rage against the church. It's no longer just dismissal or disagreement. There's there's aggression towards the church. I mean, you reject our culture's redefinition of marriage. You're not just ignorant. You're a bigot. You defend human life against abortion. You're not just a well-meaning, misguided religious person. You're an extremist. You're a terrorist. And even that is nothing compared to genocide against Christians in other countries. So Psalm 46 speaks to that kind of trouble as well. So don't be deceived, brothers and sisters, by pundits and headlines. Cable news. The, the, the psalmist cuts through the noise and he shows us the reality. God is in the midst of his people. She shall not be moved and not because of her strength or her cleverness or her merit or her strategy. She will not be moved because God will help her. You see what it says there in 5b? God will help her when morning dawns, literally at the turning of the morning. 
the original readers would immediately recognize. Do you know where that phrase comes from? It comes directly from Exodus 14, 27. At the very moment when Moses caused the Red Sea to come crashing down on the Egyptians. That happened at the turning of the morning. And so we're supposed to catch that. Like the rescue at the Red Sea, God is telling us His help comes. It comes to save and it comes at the precise moment. That it is needed. You think God's late? He's not late. You think God's preoccupied? He's not preoccupied. He's, his deliverance is waiting. The precise moment that it's needed. And it comes because God is with us. And that's how this section concludes. Again, this is a song. And the song has a chorus. The chorus comes in verses 7, comes again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And the language changes, doesn't it? Here we've seen throughout God, God, God. But here it's not God, it's Lord, all caps. Do you know what that is? That's, that's Yahweh. That's, that's the covenant name that God gave to Moses, the name that distinguishes God as Israel's personal God, as, as our God. The, the, he's not just a deity. He is a personal God who pledges himself to people, who binds those people to himself. And it's combined with that little phrase of hosts. It's Yahweh of hosts. Wow. Armies, mass forces, heavenly legions. You see the combination there. It's like this combination of personal intimacy, Yahweh, and unlimited power of hosts. Not to be trifled with. And that's reinforced with this phrase. I mean, every word of God is so rich. The God of Jacob. Don't just read over that one either. You should think the God of Jacob, incredible. What's happening? God joins his name to the name of his covenant partner. He's not just God. He's the God of Jacob. And we could, without doing violence to the text, insert your name in there as well. He's, he's the God. He's the God of Charlotte. He's God of John. He knows your name. He knows your name. And this one who knows your name is our fortress. That's, that's a different word than verse 1. Literally an inaccessibly high place. The picture is God setting us safely on high. Removed from all danger and exposure. So, friends, here is the chorus to, to, to our lives. This powerful God with infinite resources at his disposal who knows your name is present with us, present with you. Never a moment when you're out of his sight. Never a moment when you're out of his hand. So, do you have trouble this morning? You won't. Be moved. Your cause won't be abandoned. The Lord of hosts is with you. You're safe with him. 
He's got this. He's got this. Well, we've seen God's protection. We've seen God's presence. Now we hear something. Verse 3, God's pronouncement. For the, for the first time in the psalm, imperatives, commands appear for them in all. Uh, the first two come in the psalmist's voice, and they come as an invitation. Look at verse 8. Come, behold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The psalmist, here's what he's doing. He's, he's inviting us to, to reflect on what God's done in the past in order to inform how we view our future. Don't forget what God has done for you, he's saying. Think about your history. What has, from the beginning of this book, to today, what has marked God's people again and again? Here is what has marked God's people again and again. God acts to deliver and preserve His people. That's what He does. It is who, it's not a decision He makes, it's who He is. He makes wars to cease. He breaks bows. He shatters spears. He burns chariots, symbol of military might. He burns them with fire. Don't be deceived. God's not passive in history. God's moving history to its final goal. And and it's not weak. It's not peace through negotiation or peace through compromise. It's peace through victory. And so to to the wicked who would exalt themselves, who would presume to to oppose God or ignore God. And to the righteous who are tempted to fear trouble, the psalmist invites us. He invites all of us this morning. Look up. My wife sent me a text this morning, wasn't looking at this text, was praying for me. And she said, I just felt like the Lord. Wants to say to them, look up. (laughs) And moments later, I had written down, look up. So I think God wants us to look up. Look up from your ambitions, you proud. Look up from your fear, you timid. You battered, you weary. Look up and remember. Remember. Remember what God's done. You're here listening to God's word. You're here worshiping you're you're not you're here that's a miracle it's because god has held you and he will hold you and then and suddenly unannounced god speaks that that heavenly voice that melts the earth like wax it now breaks in verse 10 you see the quotes There in your Bible, be still and know that I am God. If if the first two imperatives were an invitation, then these two issue a challenge. All right. So let's keep it in context. In light of all that's preceded, God's protection of his people, excuse me, God's presence with his people, God's unrivaled 
power and sovereignty, God's certain and ultimate victory over all evil and rebellion and ambition and personal autonomy. Two challenges follow. First, be still. There's a few Hebrew words that can be translated this way. This one, however, is not a call to quiet meditation. This is not a general, gentle reminder to trust God. This one is a strong injunction. Be still. Stop. Cease and desist. Yield. Abandon your course. One translation puts it this way. An end to your fighting. And so to self-satisfied humanity, God commands, just stop it. Stop your attempts to triumph, to oppress, to rule. Abandon your project of living life apart from God and His purposes. Stop it! So if you have in maybe your guest bathroom a little frame with this verse on it, be still. You might want to take that out. <laughs> maybe use Psalm 23. <laughs> Unless you want God getting in your face while you're in the bathroom. Stop it. The second command is this. Know that I am God. Recognize me for who I am. The sovereign, unrivaled one who rules all things and is working all things for my good and perfect and ultimate purposes. Now, these commands are addressed first, in the first instance, to sinful humanity. And so, to do them justice, I must apply them this way. They apply to everyone, especially who would try to live independently of God. So, I, I don't know you... I. But if you are here and, and, and you are doing that, may, you're not a Christian. So grateful that you're here. But, or maybe you're here and you pretend to be a Christian, but deep down you, you know, maybe not. Um, it's so vital that you hear and heed these commands. The, the Old Testament writers throughout, and, and, and this writer also it speaks again and again of God's acts to do two main things, to judge the wicked and to save the righteous. All of those acts, to judge and to save, point forward in the Bible and in history to God's greatest act of sending His Son, Jesus Christ. The very purpose for which Jesus came was to deal with rebellion against God. Scripture is clear. Every person has turned away from God. Every person has gone their own way. Every person has denied God's authority. Every person has rejected His love. Every person has renounced His rule. Every person has stiff-armed God. Every person outside of Christ takes their place in this picture of rage against God. And if you're not a Christian, you're not, you're not just sort of a, an, an innocent bystander. That's, the Bible would say that's you just like it was me before 1981. But here's the great news today. You can respond to this command two ways. First, be still. 
The New Testament equivalent of that would be repent. Turn from your God-ignoring ways. Turn from ruling your own life. Turn from pursuing things that offend Him and poison you. Turn. And, And secondly, know That he is God. Acknowledge him as God and receive his son, Jesus Christ, as your savior. The one who came and died on a cross, not as a not as an example of wonderful love, but to pay for sins. You friend, you can be forgiven today. You can know God as your protector today. These promises in this psalm are not for you, but they can be for you today. Everything in this psalm can be for you if you humble yourself and receive Christ. Receive what he did as being for you. Say, I'm I'm through playing games. I'm making a decision about my life. I need him. And I'm going to follow him. If you do that, then this is your psalm today. The commands in verse 10 also speak to God's people. And so to to the restless heart, to the fearful, uh, God would say, be still. Stop living like you don't know me. Cease your strivings to solve your own problems, to, to, to outmaneuver your circumstances, to control your life, to find peace and refuge in yourself and your circumstances and anywhere else but God and all that he promises to be for you in Christ. Just be still. And secondly, know. Remember, lay hold of again, God. He said, let me be God again to you. Let me lift. Oh, what an invitation. Let me lift from your shoulders this morning, your fears and your future and your burdens and your disappointments and your your longings and your your strivings. Let me do it for you. God God follows these commands with with promises. Look look what he says. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. Now, to the non-believer, that's a threat. I will be exalted. (laughs) Regardless of what you do, I'm going to be exalted. As Paul says in Philippians 2, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But to the believer, that promise, I will be exalted. Oh, it's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a promise of joy. You see what he's saying? For, for God to be exalted in your life, Christian, is, means that you will see him in his beauty and his glory and his all sufficiency. You will all the questions you have will be answered. You will know him fully in his love. That's what we were made for. For God to be exalted means his purposes of wisdom and love and mercy for you, they will be accomplished. Perhaps we could sum it up this way. For God to be exalted means that you and I will be filled with joy and flooded with good. That's what awaits. And you know what? As we sit here this morning, 2019, uh, 
we have a deeper understanding and, and, and a greater assurance than even the psalmist. You notice, don't you, that the trouble he imagines here is external. But there is a greater trouble from which we must be saved. The greater trouble is God and His own righteous wrath, his, his, the necessity that He punish sin. And if He didn't, He wouldn't be a God worth worshiping. He'd be a bogus God. He wouldn't be a righteous God. He's got to judge. And the God who was with the psalmist drew nearer still in the person of Jesus Christ, who was called Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus bore that greater trouble on the cross, shouldering our sin, exhausting God's wrath, removing all hostility. So, so you know what happens for us? The metaphor changes for the Christian. The metaphor changes from a castle to a cross. The cross has become our refuge, saving us from the greatest trouble of all. And because, oh, brothers and sisters, because God saved us from the greatest trouble, we can come to Him in any trouble, knowing He is with us. Never forsake us. So now, regardless of, of, of what you may be facing in your life, because of the cross, you need never again doubt God's presence. You need never again doubt His protection. No matter the threat. God's protected presence makes His people secure. Few men knew this, like Martin Luther. In his fight for the gospel during the Reformation, I mean, he took on all comers, the power of the Pope, the power of the Catholic Church, the power of the Holy Roman Empire itself. He faced threats from every side. He faced physical threats. He faced relational threats. He faced death threats. He faced health threats. He faced church threats threats. And when the stress and the pressures and the trouble became too severe to bear, when he grew fearful and discouraged, you know what he would do? He would say to his friend and co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, come Philip, let us sing number 46. And let them do their worst. Friends, because of Christ, we can sit here, whatever we're facing, and say, come, let us sing number 46. And let the world, let the devil, let them do their worst. Because God is with us, regardless of the trouble. And we can face that trouble knowing nothing is beyond his wisdom or knowledge or control, and He is with us in that trouble. He's there bringing to us all the grace we need. He is our refuge and our strength. So let this forever be the chorus to the song of our lives. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we tremble. 
When you give us a glimpse of your greatness, Lord, we tremble. And when you give us a glimpse of your care for us, despite our sin, despite our forgetfulness, despite despite our wanderings, Lord, when we consider your promises that you have bound yourself to us, Lord, we we not only tremble, Lord, we, we, we thrill. It's like waking, and waking up from a dream. Is, is it real? Lord, it is real. And the cross assures us it's real. So, Father, for, for me and for these dear folk, I, I, I just pray that today and tomorrow and next week and 2019, Lord, it would be a song towering over us. The Lord hosts is with us. And all because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.